0: Okay, so with that let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, "In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation." We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true. As unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me says the Lord Almighty it's amazing that God says I will be your father verse 18 and you shall be sons and daughters to me it reminds me of that quote by J.I. Packer and this was sent to me by uh, pastor Tom at my church he reminded me of this. I, I forgot it was even in Knowing God. But Jai Packer writes that Father is the Christian name for God and so unique for Christians to be able to call this amazing, seemingly unknowable, almighty God, Daddy, Father. And he calls us his children. You shall be sons and daughters to me. Um, I mean, he says in verse 16, I will be their God, they shall be my people. But then he builds into this family relationship, not just God and people, kind of like prime minister and citizens. That's already quite a privilege to be in God's kingdom as his citizens, but to be his son and daughter. Uh, this is what God says to his own son, to Jesus. But it's transferring all those rights and loves and privileges of Jesus Christ onto us. And that's the amazing thing that God pronounces upon us. In between, he says, verse 17, Therefore go out of their midst. Be separate from them. There needs to be a distinctiveness. Therefore, in our identity, in our thinking, in our actions, we need to separate ourselves from the world and touch no unclean thing. And then I will welcome you. There is a distinction. And the context to this is verse 14, this whole section from verse 14 to the end, he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, what partnership with righteousness, with lawlessness, what fellowship light with darkness. And this unequally yoked uh, at times is often used to describe, you know, marriage with unbelievers. And this verse will be quoted, you know, do not be unequally yoked, do not be married to an unbeliever. I think it has, yes, that peculiar application, but it's wider than that. It's almost saying being known as an unbeliever. And it's almost as if removing every distinctive thing from your church that makes it of Christ and just trying to make it as relevant as possible to the world, such that it looks like another club, another association, an unbelieving church, if you like, being unequally yoked with unbelievers. And therefore, there's that partnership. And yes, maybe this might be a suggestion from an unbeliever uh, because this partnership is a business term, you know, oh, let's go into business with this. Uh, but I think it's, again, that identity. What kind of business? What kind of partnership are you having? And therefore, it's indistinguishable from an unbelieving, unchristian business partnership, that kind of thing. And therefore, it, it, he splits it into the two categories of righteousness lawlessness light with darkness christ with belial that's quite extreme in in, in extreme degrees so righteousness lawlessness and then light and darkness talking about knowledge talking about life and death but finally god and the devil christ and belial you know belial let me click on the footnotes was it talking about Belial? doesn't help my (laughs) another name for satan i think it means Uh, destruction or something and the idea is that it's it's not just something that's not christ but something that's anti-christ anti-god or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever again he presses on verse 16 what agreement has the temple of god with idols for we are the temple of the living god So yes, you know, you could apply this to, you know, who you're going to be spending that life partnership for the rest of your life. So marriage, I think, I think yes, so you can and you should apply this uh, to context of deciding whom you will love and make that promise of that marriage covenant too. But I think generally this is for the church as a whole, you know, in terms of our identity, our activities, our programs, you know, are we distinctive enough as belonging to Christ? Are we just trying to emulate and take tips from the world to make what's seemingly failing program you're running, this Mission Kids program, to make it more successful, like we see happening in the world? And God and Paul is saying that there needs to be distinction, but God is also saying that if you separate yourselves, you touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. You have this identity with me. I will be your Father, and you will be my children. So that's the second half of this chapter this distinctiveness and this realization that we are we are God's children we are God's temple and I guess I should have started with that I guess that's a more encouraging way <laughs> of applying this you know just realizing that uh, you're not doing this to become God's children but you already are and therefore you just want to reflect that in your um, in your church mission your church vision and just you know, what it means for you to gather and be distinctive as the church. But let's begin from the beginning again. Paul is appealing to them as a church. Uh, how should I put this? To love him? <laughs> to open their hearts to him? Somehow they've closed their hearts to this leader who planted this church, this pastor who evangelized them and brought them the gospel. And he's saying, um, you have stopped loving me but we haven't stopped loving you and the way in which he displays this conviction of his love towards them is his sacrifice his pain his marks of affliction on their behalf in verse one working together with him then with god we appeal to you not to receive the grace of god in vain talking about that salvation you know, you receive this forgiveness and this new righteousness. He's talking about yesterday. You know that end of that chapter five, how that transference of righteousness unto us, but our sin upon Christ, that substitutionary atonement that happens on the cross. So you receive, therefore, this amazing transferal of grace and righteousness and blessing and love upon us. Don't receive this in great in vain. You know there needs to be some kind of response to this amazing salvation that we have received and he says in a favorable time I listened to you and in the day of salvation I have helped you that means God has already responded to all our cries all our cries for help all our cries for him to answer us and to save us he's already done that you are already saved you already have the salvation in Christ but now you know don't let it go to waste you know, in, uh, I think of all those books by John the Piper, you know, don't waste, dot, 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 don't waste your cancer. Don't waste your, um, what else? Don't waste your life. And he's talking about both the good and the bad bits of your life. You know, hence cancer. You know, you don't want to waste, of course, like your money and your gifts, that kind of thing. That makes sense. Oh, so i want to maximize uh, my gifts and my opportunities for Jesus. But he's also talking here in the following context about all the pressurizing things all those sleepless nights we've had lots of those this past year all those arguments all those pressurizing situations don't waste that because you know that's where you see God's grace of salvation actually working within you to display his power and his salvation within you says behold now is the favorable time behold now is the day of salvation you You might apply this to non-christians you know now is the time for you to respond to god's salvation and that's true you know don't waste that opportunity if you hear this you know god is speaking to you and offering you that gift of grace but all the more that you know paul is speaking this to christians who have already received it It says you have already received this grace but don't waste it it's talking therefore now that hey you know i have god's spirit in me i have this assurance of this hope of salvation Today is the day to live it out, if that makes sense. Now is that favorable time or that gracious time. Now is that day of salvation. What would that look like if you make the most of this moment, not just this day, but this moment when God has given you to make the most of this gift of salvation of Christ, of His Spirit within you? What would that look like? What would your response be? Verse 3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. You think, you know, how is it? (laughs) Do you connect the two? We don't want to put a stumbling block, an obstacle in front of you. And then he talks about his ministry. You know, you think stumbling block means like um, maybe you've done something wrong. Of you may have given some hard teaching, oh, what's, what's going on? I don't understand this. But the way in which you remove this obstacle is by commending this form of ministry that almost models how you should be living out your life. You know, pause, and I would say, look at the way that we've been preaching to you and serving you in this gospel, because it is, in a sense, a mirror of how you're to respond to this gospel. I think that's what he's saying. See, so that's why he says he commends ourselves. You think, and Usually when you think that word commend, you go, uh-oh, you know, here's a guy who's not being very humble. He's talking up his ministry. But no, look at what, look at the things he puts in his CV, the kind of things he commends because it's all his scars. It's all the kind of things that you almost don't want to commend to others because it's so embarrassing. Or it's so shameful because which parent will tell their kid, oh, you grow up and become a suffering Minister of Christ, no, you know, you grow up, become a doctor, live a good life, earn the pay, and then you can help other people or become, um, I don't know, lawyer, engineer, that kind of thing. It reminds me of how one pastor in my church, uh, Pastor Andrew, once said to his dad, he says, you know, dad, uh, I think I want to be a minister. And he meant a pastor, obviously, and the dad was, had his newspaper out and he went and he didn't even put out his newspaper, he said, hmm, good. Minister of Finance would be good. <laughs> and still, is thinking of those categories. Those are the kind of things you would commend to your children. Be this kind of successful or this kind of um, comfortable person, life, job description. But Paul says, I'm going to commend to you what we do that is so difficult and so painful so that you too will choose to live this life that really displays the grace of God working in you. So look at what he commends to them. By great endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities. And these are big, big categories, you know, hardships, afflictions, calamities. You know, maybe he has been in a situation whereby his life was in danger. You know, he has put himself in places where, you know, it's not safe. You know, Paul, where, where you know, he, he's gone to places and the journey itself was dangerous. But then it gets more, more and more personal. Verse five, verse 5, beatings, imprisonment, riot, labor, sleepless nights, hunger. And now this is personal. He was beaten. Not just that he saw a beating. He was imprisoned. You know, he was, when he talks about riots, it's not that he got involved in riots, but the riots were started by him. People wanted to kill him. Labors, you know, the hard work. You know, the the time he had to work to support himself. He saw that as a privilege. He did that intentionally so that he could provide the gospel free of charge, but still it was hard. Sleepless nights and hunger. You know, um, one of the things that I do fear about doing this kind of thing is I, I don't want to give the impression that any of this is easy or that it just goes like that. It gets easier. I mean, when you build that habit and you build that routine. But I remember again just how hard it was starting out preparing for those sermons by having to do all those readings and just agonizing over the text. And then during the course of that you'll suddenly have all these horrible things happening, you know, someone will be upset with you and then you know you'll get sick and then you have to deal with all that as well as ministry you have to deal with more people relationships people misunderstanding what you're saying and then hating you and slamming the door in your face That's happened to me as as well in the past and oftentimes my fault but still that happens all in the course of that ministry and sometimes i wonder when we get too hypothetical in terms of these illustrations you know as pastors as leaders we talk about some other pastor who has you know gone through an amazing amount of pain And we quote them or the way we quote paul and we don't dare reveal of some of that insight into what we're going through or maybe we're embarrassed because we haven't been through it you know we give people the impression that this is unusual that this is not normative but get this again paul is pointing to his quite intense pain, I would say that, you know, quite intense suffering, quite intense affliction that is not normative even amongst most Christians. But he's saying this so that you might respond in the same way when you get an opportunity to live out the gospel and it might cost you in a certain way. He's hoping that you too will not hold back that love, but also that response to the gospel. Verse six, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. You know, this This idea of purity and just watching the ways in which we interact with one another and also carefulness in ways in, ways in which we live out our own lives. Um, if you watch that, if you're able to watch your life, you know, with and again, knowledge and patience and kindness, these are all relative words that, you know, shows love in a, in a non-flashy way, if I can put that way, you know, that, that actually bears one another patience This thing, you know, patience means bearing with one another, bearing sometimes with other people's sins as well. And then kindness, responding always in a gentle way. And also with that Holy Spirit and genuine love. Actually, you know, sometimes I have to tell myself, love these people, you know, don't just, don't just preach at them, just do it, but actually have that genuine love. Can I just say that if you did these kind of things, and it is hard, you know, even as a young Christian, you started focusing on these things, focusing on purity, focusing on kindness, on patience, on genuine love, on the Holy Spirit, on its indwelling, and that communing with God, and prayer, and just awareness. God can use you for the rest of your life. <laughs> a lot of people think that the way it is to start ministry is learn the Bible and learn, and, and, you know, look at what I'm doing. I mean, I, I, I think that's really, really important. And that does shape the way in which we then bear fruit for that salvation, and that kindness and that love and so on and so forth. But then if you're able to focus on that, instead of trying to find what opportunity do I have you know, to go into ministry, what job can I apply for, what course, <laughs> that's the thing. Everyone is so preoccupied with finding that next course to go for so that they can learn the next skill and find that next jalan, <laughs> that next opening to go into that church or that. Friends, you know, if you just focus on that character trait of purity, of kindness, of patience, of love, of the Holy Spirit, of just loving one another, God will be able to use you for your entire life. In fact, it will be just so obvious. You will stand out, might I say, compared even to all those eggheads who can who know the Bible inside out and Hebrew. and You know, your love and your integrity of wanting to love others. You know, that will be such an amazing, amazing testimony to your adequacy, not your inadequacy, maybe in some in lots of areas, but also your sufficiency in that God has given you that character to be able to serve him in a way that reflects God's character in Christ. Verse seven by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. And because these are grouped together, I think it's talking not just about power power for the sake of power that God displays but he's talking about the Bible Hence, truthful speech and then the power of God and the weapons of righteousness is talking, therefore, about that equipping. Left hand and right hand means both hands (laughs) are equipped for offense, defense, you know, uh, with a sword and with a shield. And he might be referring to those verses in Ephesians 6. But again, Ephesians 6 is talking about the church as a whole. But here talking about ministry as well, just being equipped with God's word to be able to advance and to be able to respond in any every situation with the Bible with the scriptures through honor and dishonor through slander and praise we are treated as imposters and yet are true as unknown and yet well known as dying and behold we live as punished and yet not killed you know these conflicting contrasting situations in life so it builds with character he starts with that but then he prepares you for these contrast in circumstances honor or dishonor, slander and praise, you know, both of them, you know, expect both of them, don't, don't just, not just one instead of the other, I only like the praise, not the slander, both will come, treated as imposters and yet are true, by his own church, by the way, <laughs> here in Corinth, as unknown and yet well-known and well-known maybe for the wrong reasons, dying and behold, we lived, as punished and yet not killed. And now he is slowly advancing, not just in equal situations of life and death, but actually it's within those death, deathly situations, within those challenging situations that he displays, that true life, that true light, that true position, that true ministry that he has in Christ. Verse 10, as sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. I find this so true of any pastor Worth their salt, you know. There is a kind of sadness and a kind of weightiness that comes with just leading God's people and constantly giving and serving them, and dealing with the heartaches of uh, of, of life. And there is a sorrow that comes with that. You know, you um, people often grieve in loneliness, and you know, if you are that one person who is been given that comfort to give and that those times of sorrow you will have to share in that sorrow as you give that comfort and yet you're always rejoicing you know it's it's in those circumstances of mourning and sorrow that you find that hey, yeah, there's every reason to give thanks to God every reason to seek goodness from his hand and to rejoice in him as poor yet making many rich. That's so ironic, isn't it? And the poor person who makes other people rich. Isn't that Jesus? (laughs) You know, usually you think, out of my riches, I will bless you abundantly. You know, I'll show you how to be like me, rich like me. But no, it's because you're poor. It's because you don't have much that you're able to show others the treasure and the wealth and the blessing that God has given them. You know, it's a very humbling thing again imagine if you were going to go into ministry and god only promises you only this hardship only this kind of sorrow and only poverty for the rest of your life but together with that true eternal life true joy and other people being made rich <laughs> as having yet having nothing yet possessing everything this is an encouragement both to the minister and the ministered. You know, if you feel as if you're dry and you're serving others and what pastor hasn't felt that in any stage of their lives, you know, you have everything. Paul says we possess everything, even though we have nothing. And you have Christ and Christ is everything. But actually more than that, you know, Christ has given you his people, his approval, his ministry, that privilege, But also that responsibility and that opportunity to step up to the plate, to bear that burden, to, you know, to respond with grace in moments of challenge and difficulty. You know, you have everything in Christ. And maybe because of that situation in ministry where you're empty and you're constantly serving and you're constantly giving out, those are the times when you realize that this is so true you do have everything in Christ. Verse 11, oh yeah, but I said that's for those who are ministering, but for those who are ministered, uh, for us again to look at those who are serving us in this way, you know, again, if you have a pastor like this, what a joy, what a privilege it is to have a pastor like this and to say, hey, it is through him that we see how Jesus really has blessed us with everything in the situations when that pastor, that leader has every reason to be bitter, every reason to leave and to be upset and to be impatient or to compromise, you know, his life and his position in Christ and to compromise that purity and to, you know, have self-pity and to explain it that way. But he hasn't. He's still encouraging me and he's still pouring out that grace and reminding me to respond in the way that he or she or they are responding to Christ no, why why won't I want to do the same? I want, I want I want to imitate that kind of walk, that kind of faithfulness, that kind of service before Christ. Hmm. I think verse four, especially as servants of Christ. I think is, is it the word deacons? Let me just look this up. Bear with me. Um, this is second Corinthians chapter chapter six. Uh, I'm just looking at my Hebrew Bible and just checking up second Corinthians chapter 6 sorry I know th- I'm kicking myself in the foot because if this goes over an hour then I have to split it apart again and we really want to keep it as one single recording to upload onto Instagram so I want to keep it short I'm just curious verse 4 uh, verse 4 uh, where is it there it is rather in Panthi, Uh ourselves as diaconoi. yeah so you know as God's deacons you know Paul uh, and I'm I, I just thinking again of that comment um, that Yan Ping made in that video about how sometimes we like that term deacons. We are chasing after that position. We only be called deacons in church, and then we'll be able to serve. But you know, for Paul, and you know, it was an apostle, for him, when he uses that word diakonos, diakonoi, as plural, he's saying we are servants, we are slaves. You know, we are table waiters. Again, uh, that picture of that waiter in a restaurant who is serving you. You are the one enjoying your food. Say, said, I like the check, please. I like some more drink, please. And they serve you. And Paul is in that kind of position. And he sees it as a privilege to be able to serve them in this way. You know, for us to, you know, if you want to aspire to this kind of ministry, uh, aspire to that, to be in a position whereby you are serving others at maybe even the cost of yourself, your own comfort and your own privilege. Verse 11, we've spoken fully to your Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. He does this out of love. He truly, truly loves this church, this people who've not responded in the same kind of love. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Open up your hearts to us. And so it's a call to a response to Paul, you know, as children. I think that's why he talks about God. It's a response to them, for them to respond to God as his children. You know, these affection responses, you know, this just a kind of regard for your leaders in a way that recognizes all the things that they've done in the name of Christ for our good, for our benefit, for our growth, and for our building up as God's children and God's people. How amazing it is to have leaders like this. How amazing it is to serve as leaders like Paul, as servants, as slaves of Christ. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that Jesus served us. He gave his life on the cross that we might be forgiven, that we might receive this grace, this gift of reconciliation with you. Help us not to waste this. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the day to respond with our entire lives, to say that we love you. We love to serve you. And please use us to display that grace and that abundant generosity of your love through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.